Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. In this series, Genesis, A New Perspective, we are trying to breathe fresh life into this ancient text that lays the foundation for the Christian Bible. Each week, we will be exploring different ways that these Genesis stories impact us and the world around us and our ways of understanding God. I hope you enjoy. So after an entire year of talking about the book of Genesis, we are finally coming to the end. Are you all happy about that? Oh yeah, I know there's some people in here who are like, cannot wait to get out of this book. (laughs) So we are at the final story, the story of Joseph. Scholars will tell you that this particular story is perhaps one of the best written stories in the entire Bible. In fact, the story of Joseph is almost like a novel that has been tacked on to the end of Genesis. What you will come to find, my hope is anyway, as we deal with this story over a series of four different sermons, is that this story sets the foundation for what we're going to be talking about in September when we begin discussing Jesus' life as portrayed in the Gospel of Mark. But before we start with Joseph's life, I need to get a major elephant out of the room before we start on this story, which is that I know the majority of you have never actually read this story in the Bible, and your entire understanding of this story comes from Andrew Lloyd Webber's Joseph in the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Am I right about that? Am I right? I know it. Don't lie. (laughs) If that is your primary understanding of this story, as wonderful as the musical is, it's probably going to be a little bit off because his musical doesn't exactly parallel it the way it happened. But you'll understand that more as we get into it. So today, we began talking about Joseph. He's 17 years old. And he's the most cherished of all of Jacob's sons because he's the firstborn son of Jacob's wife, Rachel. Now, we've been talking about this a lot. How many wives does Jacob have? Two. (laughs) And what are their names? Rachel and Leah, and recently, two sermons ago, we talked about how Rachel died. And so he ends up doting a lot on Joseph. And one of the things he does to show him favor is that he gives him what the translation comes out in our scripture as a long robe with sleeves. A long robe with sleeves. The literal translation of it is actually a garment of strips. And these strips were made of fine linen. Hate to burst your bubble. There's nothing multicolor or technicolor about it. In the first service, I showed a photo of what this robe looked like. We found many of them in the Middle East. Um, The only reason it says it's multicolored is because when the Hebrew was translated into Greek, they didn't know what the word meant, so they used multicolored. And that's why we ended up with this whole thing and the musical. So, anyway. (laughs) That said, what you have to understand about Joseph is that he's a shepherd. And shepherds would wear these sleeveless flax tunics. And at night, when it would get cold, they would wear these coats made of wool over the tunics, and they were really rough. It would be really hard on your skin, but it kept you warm. What made Joseph's coat so special was that it was literally sewn together, strip by strip, one piece at a time, and it was long sleeve. So that meant he didn't have to wear a coat over his tunic. This was something that was only worn by people who had great wealth and authority. And of course, Jacob only gives this to one of his sons, so the other ones are a little bit resentful of him. And then you have to add into this the fact that Joseph is a little bit arrogant. 
He's a good-looking guy, and he has many talents, not the least of which is his ability to interpret dreams. Now, it's important for you to understand that at this point in history, the ancients believed that dreams were placed in the minds of humans at night by the gods. The content, the images within these dreams, were there to tell humans about the future. The problem is, is that most people didn't know how to interpret these dreams. There was only a few people who had the gift to parse out what these dreams meant. And so for the people who did have this gift to be able to essentially tell the future, they were a pretty hot commodity in the ancient world. Now, not unlike presidential advisors today, leaders in the ancient world would surround themselves with the best dream interpreters and compensate them generously for their gifts. And this makes sense when you really think about it, because if you're a leader and you have insight into the future, then that's going to help you be able to maintain your power. So it's not surprising that when Joseph gets sold into slavery because he has this talent, he's going to rise to power in Egypt. And ironically, ironically, the reason why he gets sold into slavery in the first place is because of a dream that he interprets. And we read about it a little bit earlier, Sandy read it, where basically he's saying, I'm going to rule over my father and my brothers. They don't take too kindly to this, and they're like, we're done with you. We're going to get rid of you now. We don't want you around. And initially, as we saw, they're going to kill him, but then they compromise and they figure, hey, we can sell him into slavery, and we can make some money to boot, and we don't have to see him anymore. Now, today, we don't tend to look at dreams the same way as Joseph did. We don't think of dreams as providing us a window into the future. Although I've had conversations with some of you who have told me that you have had dreams that have foreshadowed events that have happened in your life. I've never had that happen to me, but some of you have told me about that. And so there's some of you who obviously believe that can happen, and that's great, but then you have science on the other side of it. And on the other side of science, they sit there and they say, well, dreams are more about kind of healthy, normal brain activity. And so one of my goals for us today is to help you to understand that even though we no longer look at dreams the same way Joseph used to look at them, that in fact dreams are incredibly important to our lives. I believe that many of us don't value how important dreams actually are and having the ability to shape and mold our lives and our futures. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about some of the science of dreaming, some of the things that we've learned in the past couple of decades about why we dream. And my hope is that you'll come away from the service today feeling as though Joseph's gift is something that we all have inside of us. So you ready to go? All right. The science of dreaming. The first person to really help redefine the purpose of dreams in the modern era was Sigmund Freud. Freud was a neuroscientist and neurosurgeon who worked in Vienna at the turn of the century in the 1900s. Freud noticed through his research that much of human thought and desire was not actually prevalent in the conscious mind, but that most of it resided just beneath the surface in what he called the unconscious. He also noticed that much of this thought and desire seemed to present itself in dreams. So let me give you an example of how this might work. Let's say you go to a job, and that job causes you a great deal of stress. Now, while you're there, 
in the job, you may not understand that that stress is not the result of the job, but perhaps one person who works with you in this job. Consciously, you don't really recognize how that person affects you. But in a dream, you might see this person, and they might actually cause you a great deal of distress. It's blatant how much distress they cause you. Freud believed that if you could interpret the dream properly, that you could understand not only information about who you are, but the environment in which you lived. Now today, what we've learned is, is that in fact Freud was right, that our dreams do tend to reflect our emotional state. But Freud was wrong in the sense that our dreams can provide us with endless information about our inner thoughts and desires. And the reason why he got some things wrong is because he was working with a very limited understanding of the human brain when he came up with many of his theories. Let me give an example of one concept he was working with at the time. And you all might still believe this to be true today. So, you may have heard or thought that our brain is like a continuous tape recorder. Basically, it's always on record. It's recording everything that you've ever done in your entire life. Have you ever heard that before? Okay, and the only thing that you have to do is you have to consciously try to access that information, but it's all in there somewhere. Well, studying dreams, we found out that that's not actually true. One of the purposes of dreams is to help your mind figure out which memories it wants to keep and which memories it wants to shed. To understand how this works, you also have to appreciate that not all memories are the same. There are two different kinds of memories. There is what is known as procedural memory, which is how you figure out how to ride a bike or play the piano. And then the other kinds of memories are known as declarative memories. Declarative memories are how you remember facts or autobiographical information about yourself. So in your dreams, what happens is your dreams are taking the events of the day and it's trying to figure out what it wants to store in long-term memory and what it wants to get rid of. And a good example of this, and we have a lot of students in here, is if you study for tests. Now, studying for a test, staying up all night and cramming, is not nearly as effective as studying and going to sleep. The reason why is because when you study and you fall asleep, your brain has the time to take that information and turn it into long-term memory. Whereas, if you stay up all night and you cram, that information is far less accessible because it hasn't been able to be turned into long-term memory. Now, to understand why this happens, you also have to know that it's not just we fall asleep and we're out and we wake up. There are what are known as stages to sleep, and there's four of them. And the person who figured out that these four stages process memory differently is a man named Robert Stickgold. Stick Gold is an assistant professor of psychiatry at Harvard University. And the way he discovered this is actually a really fascinating story. So Stick Gold is an avid climber. And one time he was on vacation out in Vermont, and he was climbing a particularly treacherous set of rocks. And that evening when he got home, he was super exhausted. So he fell asleep almost immediately. Have you ever had that happen when you're just so tired, you're out like a light? Well, he got startled awake a few minutes later, and he realized that he was dreaming about clinging to these rocks, this treacherous area that he was trying to get through. It was a really tough path, and he couldn't quite get through it easily, so he had to cling to the rocks. And when he fell back asleep again, there he was again, clinging to those rocks. And what he realized was, 
was that his brain was replaying this procedural memory over and over again, almost like he was trying to practice it in his sleep. So Stickgold devised a now famous experiment to study this phenomena known as the Tetris experiment. Now, many of you probably don't know what Tetris is, so let me explain that to you real quick. It's a video game where blocks fall from the top of the screen and you try to form these geometric patterns. One of the most famous video games in the world. You can look it up online after the service if you really want to know what it's all about. So Stickgold takes 27 people and has them play Tetris for seven hours over a period of three days. Now, of these 27 people, some were really good at Tetris, some had only played a little bit, some had never, ever played before. And then in the evenings, he would go to them, and he would wake them up. He would rouse them in the middle of their sleep after they'd fallen asleep, and he asked them, what are you dreaming about? 60% of the people in his study said they were dreaming of falling Tetris blocks. Now, those 60% represented the people who hadn't played Tetris very much or they hadn't played at all. So he devised this theory. What he realized was, is that during stage one and stage two sleep, which lasts for about 25 to 30 minutes when you first fall asleep, your brain is replaying skills that it thinks is going to be necessary for you to survive in the world. So the more you do something, the more your brain says, this must be important. So your brain's gonna replay it over and over again. Of the people who dreamed of falling Tetris blocks, they reported each day that they got better and better successively with each night of sleep. So the theory goes like this. The more you do something, the more your brain thinks it's important. The more you're gonna dream about it at night so that you can do it better during the day. And this is why when you learn how to do something the wrong way, actually it's really hard to unlearn it because your brain's teaching you how to do it the wrong way while you sleep. And by the way, this is how I learn how to do my sermons, is that I study them for an hour every day, and then I sleep on it. If I couldn't sleep, I wouldn't be able to get up here and do this from memory. Now, from stage one, stage two, you go to stage three and stage four, which is known as deep sleep. And in deep sleep, that's when you're dealing with memories that you're trying to parse out, what are you gonna leave in long term, and what are you going to get rid of? Now, you all probably know that the fourth stage of sleep is known as REM sleep, which stands for rapid eye movement, right? Or you all may not know this, a popular band from the 1990s. Either way, <laughs> during REM sleep, your body is actually paralyzed. You can't move. The only thing that can move is your eyes. And this is really important, because if your body was not in a state of paralysis, you'd be flailing around doing all the things in your dreams, which is what happens to people who sleepwalk. That part of their brain is malfunctioning and not paralyzing them. So they get up and they do the things that are in their dreams. Now, another thing you have to know is, is that you don't go stage one, stage two, stage three, stage four, and then you're in stage four REM for the rest of the night. You bounce around a lot. So the first time you go into REM sleep, you're only gonna be in it for about 10 minutes. And during that time, that's when you're gonna start dealing with memories that you accumulated from that day. And with each successive time you return to REM, you're going to be in it a little bit longer and you're gonna be dealing with memories from further and further in the past. This is why when you wake up in the morning, you tend to be dreaming of people and places from your distant past. 
And have you ever had that happen? You know what I'm talking about, right? Like, that's at the point where you're doing it. The reason why your mind goes to this progressive replaying of memories from further and further in the past is that it's trying to keep them fresh. It's trying to keep them readily accessible for you. And this is why if you don't sleep well, you tend to have memory problems because your brain does not have the time to refresh those neurons that maintain and catalog those memories. Now all this, as interesting as it is, leads us to something far, far more important that we haven't even discussed yet, which is the dream itself. When you really step back to think about it, dreams are absolutely amazing things. The fact that your mind is able to create an entire world for you to inhabit while you dream is a truly astounding feat. If I asked you to come up here and I gave you paints and a canvas and I said, I want you to paint this sanctuary down to the most minute detail, assuming you had the ability to even do that, it would take you days. And yet your mind, without even trying, is able to create vast landscapes, buildings, people, rooms, all down to the most intricate of features. And a question that has yet to be answered, which is probably the most fascinating question of all is, why does our brain go to all this trouble to do this? I mean, it's one thing to just replay skills so that you're better at playing the piano or climbing a rock or riding a bike, right? But it's a whole other thing for your mind to do this so that you have this rich world to experience while you sleep. Now, it's interesting because in the end, when you look at our brains, there's no real reason why it should need to do this. It should just be able to sort the memories without creating this intricate detail and these elaborate narratives that take you places you would have never thought of going before. But thankfully, our minds know better than we do. Our minds know that without dreams, we can never fully take advantage of the world in which we live. Have you ever been working on a problem in your life that you just can't solve? You're thinking about it, and you're thinking about it, and you're thinking about it, and it just, you can't come up with a solution to the issue that you're thinking about? A really good example of this is a man named Donald J. Newman. He was a mathematician at MIT in the 1960s, and he was working on a very, very challenging theoretical math problem. Now, Newman, he worked with a group of scientists and mathematicians who were very competitive. And one of these people who, in his group was a man named John Nash. You all might know him from the movie A Beautiful Mind from 2001. So one night, Newman has a dream. And in this dream, he's with Nash at a restaurant in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And so he starts talking to Nash about this problem that he's working on. And Nash sits there and actually tells him how to solve it, walks him through the solution step by step. Well, he wakes up, writes down the solution, and he was so amazed by what happened to him that he actually gave Nash credit in his paper for helping him come up with the solution to this problem, even though it happened in a dream, not in the real world. He said it's the most amazing experience he's ever had in his life. Your mind and your brain is always working on ideas that you could never come up with on your own during your waking life. In fact, all the time, your mind is working on concepts and ideas beneath the surface that you will only become conscious of once your brain has had the ability to work on them inside of your dreams.
Were any of you here for my Easter sermon? That Easter sermon was the result of something that came up, came to me in a dream. It literally popped up one night and I wrote it down. And I honestly think to this day, it's still one of the best sermons I have ever preached. Even though today we know that dreams are not what Joseph thought, where they're placed in our minds by the gods, God still gave us the ability to dream. And this is a gift that I think many of us don't really appreciate. You come out of a dream with nothing tangible, and yet that dream can totally change the world in which you live. It can change who you are. It can change the trajectory of your life. I had a dream when I was six years old that I was saying things to a big crowd of people, and they listened to me because I was speaking the truth. And you have to realize that when I had this dream, I was so shy that I wouldn't even raise my hand in class to ask a question. So that dream that I had when I was six has become a reality today. At the beginning of this sermon, I said that my hope was that you would feel as though Joseph's gift is something that we all possess inside of us. Dreams may not tell us about the future, but they certainly can create it. Inside of your mind is all this potential just waiting to be unleashed. But the sad thing is, many of us dismiss the world inside of our own minds. We ignore it and assume that what we see in front of us is everything that matters. But that is not true. The world inside of your mind is full of potential that many of us never really hold on to. And the wonderful thing is, all you have to do to find it is close your eyes, fall asleep, and your dreams will do the rest. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.fpcah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.